When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast. We record on Wednesday, October 5th, as we get you ready for Virginia Tech's trip up to Pittsburgh, where they'll take on the defending Coastal Champs. On today's episode, we'll break down this matchup, some of the key players involved, and later we'll talk a little basketball as Basketball Media Days wrapped up yesterday. All that and more coming up on episode 261 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts. want to let you know that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks. First Bank and Trust is a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee with additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal, agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's introduce the crew for today. On set, we have Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline across the way. To my right is lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair is Jake Lyman, who, if you didn't know, hosted a podcast earlier this morning with Kenny Brooks, which just hit the feed. So make sure you go check out that one. In addition to this one, behind the scenes producing is Nick Brown, and I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. Well, no matter the outcome of these games, they're going to keep coming and we're going to keep previewing <laughs> them. So uh, the Hokies now 0-2 on the road and a trip up to Akershire Stadium awaits Heinz Field hasn't been the nicest to the Hokies, but maybe just what we need is a new name and a new legacy, but we'll <laughs> Yeah, that'll see. do it. <laughs> yeah. You're funny. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, see. Yeah, it's been, what is Tech up there, one and six in Heinz Field? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Tech had a better record in old Pitt Stadium. I think they were three and one, but still, with the exception of one game, even those games were tight, and those were some of Tech's better teams. Although it's Brent Pry's first trip up to Pittsburgh as a head coach, he has a little bit of familiarity with the area and, of course, coaching against Pat Narduzzi, both of them defensive guys. Um, I found this stat while at Penn State, Pry's defense allowed under 15 points three times at Pitt. So if our defense did that in game one with our track record of only scoring 10 points the last two games, you'd say that we have a pretty good chance. But I think that's probably something we can look forward to in years to come of the Pry <laughs> area, maybe not year one. That's 13 so, to 10 law, loss would be an improvement. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Um, there'd be well, stuff to talk about. <laughs> there'd be, right, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think I ran the numbers and I think that, that the average score, and this includes the game that Tech won in 2016, the average score at Heinz Field has been 37 to 20 in favor of Pitt. So holding them to under 20 points, that would be that would be pretty awesome. The last three games up there, Pitt has averaged 46 points. Mm. <laughs> hard, hard to imagine. Virginia Tech used to, not, used to not give up like 46 points in like three games. Right, know? right. That's, Bud would have two or three shutouts. Unless you're playing Pitt. 
Like I said earlier, Hokies have not been great on the road, but Pitt hasn't necessarily been great at home. Both of their two losses coming at, I was about to say Heinz Field, uh, Akersher <laughs> Stadium last week, notably losing to Georgia Tech when they were double-digit favorites. So I'm sure that those practices have been not pleasant this past week under Narduzzi. I'd say, that, I'd say that that's probably one of the more embarrassing losses of his tenure and probably not a great time for Virginia Tech to be making the trip up there. I think how they lost the game would, would make him mad. I mean, they're yeah. battling some injuries right now, but the, but even with that, they had two fumbles, one of which was extremely critical and, and really helped Georgia Tech to to win that game. And, and they struggled to stop the run. They struggled to stop the run against, oh, God, West Virginia and now Georgia Tech. Right, they did they were, well against Tennessee right, in those they, FCS they, shut, they actually shut down Tennessee's running game, right. but they couldn't stop. They gave up over 200 yards to, George, to a Georgia <laughs> Tech team who's only averaging 121 a game is one of the worst running teams in the country. Uh, so I think that's that's probably probably makes a guy like Narduzzi pretty sick. You lost the game because you couldn't stop the run when you're normally pretty good at stopping the run, and then you had two turnovers. Uh, they're banged up, of course, and when but when you're banged up, you expect to be able to fall back on your strength and rely on it to lead you to victory, which is you know for them defense and. It didn't happen that last week against Georgia Tech, and of course you got to protect the football, which they also didn't do. So, yeah, I expect it's, it's not that they lost to Georgia Tech; it's like how they lost to Georgia Tech, it particularly probably makes him angry. Yeah, they uh, uh, interesting. I've, I've got a Pittsburgh Gazette article here. I've, I've got some good stuff from and. So to, to put that Georgia Tech loss in perspective, here's the paragraph. Georgia Tech's victory marked the fourth time a Narduzzi-led Pitt team lost at home as a double-digit favorite. However, Saturday's 22-point spread, according to most sports books, was nearly double the amount of points the Panthers were laying compared to their other three upset losses. So there's language going around that that was like Narduzzi's worst loss as head coach. So yeah, I would... Dude, I would agree with that. So, so they chose to bottom out the week before they play Virginia Tech, and <laughs> and you're right that like for instance the defensive line is supposed to be one of the strengths of the team, and and they were not able to uh, to pressure Georgia Tech's Jeff Sims in the second half. They weren't able to sack him. They they got occasional pressure on him, but didn't sack him. And then when you add in two fumbles in the second half, that that's the recipe for uh, and their leading running back left with an injury in the second quarter. Mm. So it's all these things just came together to, to lead to a, a home loss to a 22-point dog with an interim coach. I believe their interim coach was a former player for Georgia Tech. I think it goes to show like a lot of teams who fire their coach and then their interim is a former player, they play pretty well. You think about J.C. Price. I guess was his first game, though, the Miami game? It was the Miami game. Okay, but the, so tech that played, the Tech played pretty well in that game. Right. To a point, right? Could have won it if they hadn't benched Burmeister and, and – uh, Blackshear Black Black had given the ball to Blackshear more than twice. <sighs> exactly. <laughs> Comes up in every podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and get into this game. Not only is it a new stadium, but it's a, complete, it's a completely new offense, and the Hokies are used to seeing, and it starts with a new offensive coordinator in Frank Sinetti Jr. Interesting move to fire your OC after winning an ACC title. Yeah, he resigned technically, right? So uh, they went into that. They won the ACC, and then they went into the – played in the Orange Bowl without Kenny Pickett and without their offensive coordinator. Like so, was to it, me, I think it was the Chick Fil A Bowl, or was it the right? Chick Fil A Bowl? Against I don't know. Michigan I can State. look it up while you guys chat. Well, yeah. Pitt, Pitt won the ACC, so it should have been the Orange Bowl, right? <laughs> oh, Orange Bowl was playoff. That's right. Okay, normally it would have been the Orange Bowl. It was. Right. The, it was the Peach. It was the Peach Bowl. Peach Bowl. So okay. anyway, they, they lost thirty-one twenty-one to Michigan State. Re regardless, it's it makes you wonder, like, 
if a coach is willing to like let his offensive coordinator go before a big bowl game, and then the quarterback opts out of a big bowl game like that, mm-hmm. how many bowl games actually are meaningful these days? That's a that's a, that's a different topic. That's Can you, why we're expanding the playoffs. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's a different topic, though. But yeah, I, there's been a lot of changeover. Two of their top wide receivers are grad transfers. Um, when you consider the fact that uh, their quarterback and two of their top three receivers are, are, are grad transfers, which is pretty similar to Virginia Tech, um, and the number of injuries they've had, they've actually put a pretty competent product on the field offensively when you consider that. They, they've had two or three guys banged up on the offensive line, a running bang, back banged up this past week. The quarterbacks missed a game and a half. Um and the fact that they're competent is, is actually – they've done a pretty good coaching job on that side of the ball when you consider all that. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, Jake, when, when Kenny Brooks was on this morning, he, he got on the subject of the transfer portal and he said, you can't just go grab good players from the portal and just plug them right in and everything's awesome. He said, you know, you, you got to – it takes time to teach kids your system. He's like, every, you know – and he gets a lot of players from the portal. He's done a really good job with the portal. But he's like, he, he dropped it in there. He pays attention. He said, everybody's telling Brent Pry to go get players from the portal. And, you know, it, it's even if you get good players, it's not that easy. Right. Keaton Slovis, their uh, starting quarterback, the second USC transfer quarterback that the Hookies have faced yeah. this year. And apparently he's the better one since he beat out JT Daniels in L.A. I remember the hype around him when he first committed to Pitt. And his numbers aren't great, but you have to take into the take into account that he did miss a game yeah. and a half due to injury. Yeah. And they could have won that Tennessee game if he hadn't been injured. Yeah. Uh, they, they were winning the game when he was injured, I think, and they, they ended up losing in overtime to Tennessee. Um, I think he started 25 games for Southern Cal, so he's got a lot of experience. And wow. it kind of shows you the depth that Southern Cal had there at the time. Um, was that game, was the Tennessee game at Tennessee or at Pitt? It was at Pitt. Really? So they had they had losses. WVU at Pitt. Yeah, Tennessee they out. at Pitt. Yep. Virginia Tech at Pitt. They they played a lot of a lot of home games, so they're mm-hmm. getting ready to go on the road. Well, they went on the road to Western Michigan, which is unheard of. So there's a little well, bit of that. But Tech yeah. went on the road once to Western Michigan. Yeah, two thousand two. That's right. Was that the Alex Marker Giannakis game? game. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> I don't know, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, last week, the defense was faced with a a mobile quarterback for the first time this season and struggled a little bit to contain Drake May. Lucky for them, Slovis has negative 34 rushing yards on the air, so it shouldn't be as much of a problem. Pitt's offense won't stress Virginia Tech as much as UNC's does. They're a little bit banged up, and they don't quite have the firepower anyway. Um, I think when when they're healthy, they're they're a good offense, and I think they've gotten the most out of this offense as they can, considering there's so many transfers and they've had so many injuries, but like – you don't have to worry about like being stressed vertically and horizontally and up the middle everywhere. Yeah, the like, like UNC puts puts so much pressure on you everywhere. Um, Pitt is an easier offense to defend in all just about every way, except for maybe physicality up front. Um, but at the same time, it's Heinz Field slash Acrisure Stadium, so. Right. So one of the things we talked that I, I talked about before we went live is that you, you get caught in the bubble of paying attention to your own team. And we paid attention to Virginia Tech and we've seen the issues. 
and you'll see me being caught in the bubble in my game pick. I picked a really lopsided score, and a lot of that has to do with just every time they go to Pittsburgh, it's it's sure. a mess. Well, I mean, even in 2001 when Virginia Tech went 8-3 and three and they were facing a Pitt team that had only won two or three games. Oh, shall we go into that one? Yeah, I've Pitt, got Pitt, it pulled Pitt won 38-7. Right okay. Yeah, so I remember that. So, so Tech was, you know, whatever at that point in time uh, – um, I don't want to drill down it, but, but Tech was ranked very highly. And they go to Pitt, and Pitt was 2-5. and five, mm-hmm. And they had lost to South Florida, Miami, good team. Notre Dame was 5-6, and six, Syracuse 10-3 that year, BC. So they were 2-5, and five, you know, and, and they just beaten Temple. Whoop-de-doo. And I'm sure I picked some lopsided score for Tech to win by. And then they go up there, and Pittsburgh beats them 38-7. to seven. And the only way Tech scored was on a pick six. Like no, they, it was a blocked – wasn't it a blocked uh, field goal? It was a blocked field goal. That Ronyell, I think, ran, ran back. back. So, the, so the offense didn't score that. Right. Game. So Tech's yeah. got that super long scoring streak, and that's one of those games where it was barely preserved. The offense didn't score, and that's an offense that had Kevin Jones running for it. Mm-hmm. Andre Davis was on that offense. Yeah. Yep. He, he may have been hurt that game. I'm not sure, though. But that just – so Tech had beaten Pitt in 93, 95, lost in 97, beat him in 99 – so I was expecting things to just keep going. And then they roll up there to Heinz Field and just got punched square in the face. And, and that's kind of the way it's That's been. when the, the Heinz Field horror show started. It was yeah. So, so we all thought Syracuse was the worst place to play. And they're kind of dead even right now. Either place they go to, it's not good. The thing about Syracuse was, with the exception of one game, at least the games in the Carrier Dome have been close. Well, in Texas Orange Bowl year when they went. That's what I said, 96. 96, yeah. okay, right. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you guys bring up the car- the Carrier Dome because I believe that they it's changed not. names this year too. Oh, and, and now I was they have air conditioning. Look- yes. Yeah. <laughs> Carrier got mad and quit yeah, once yeah. they put air conditioning. It in. is the JMA Wireless Dome. Uh-huh. That is that, so sad. It rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. That and Acrisure Stadium. Um, I appreciate the hokey history. Just being more of a young one, I I don't write or. I wasn't alive to, <laughs> I wasn't to think about some of these games. You didn't miss much that weekend. <laughs> right, exactly. Once, once a podcast, Katie says, yeah, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe Jake has a little bit of Heinz Field history, so this might be a good time to uh, cut to him. I do. Uh, so, like you guys said right off the top, Virginia Tech 1-6 and six since Heinz Field was built in 2001, but we're 3-1. and one. Will had the numbers exactly right before Heinz Field was built, so now maybe we'll see if Acrisure Stadium has a little better luck for Virginia Tech. But that leads us right into this week's edition of Stat Time with Scott Glessner. He missed Monday's podcast. I was he, waiting for it. I was sitting back. in the fourth chair, and he wasn't there. He, he is back, uh, and he actually has some more in-depth details on this. Uh, the only game Virginia Tech won in Heinz Field was 2016, uh, and that was the only game that Virginia Tech has had 300-yard receivers in the same game. Uh, that was just throw it up and, and let Isaiah Ford yep. and Bucky well, Hodges. We can do that I again. That should that be game. easy. <laughs> yeah. um, he also says that in the 2001 pit game, VT was coming off a home loss to Syracuse, uh, and they ranked 12th. Dwight Freeney. That was a Dwight Freeney game. Mm. That was the day that everybody found out who Dwight Freeney That's was. That's right. Four yeah. sacks against Vic. In Lane Stadium. Uh, or no, two, 2000 was that. Yeah. It was, so it was against Grant and all. It's a little easy. Well, no, he just sacked Vic four times. Oh, that's in right. The For, in the dome, right. Yeah. So I, I take back what I said. 
Now, the main thing I remember about that 2016 game is I feel like that was the last time that Pitt wore their old colors with the navy and, like, the dark gold. Hmm. And now we just see, like, the royal blue and bright gold. When did they, like, do this color change? They, they went for a few years where they insisted on being called Pittsburgh yeah. instead of Pitt, remember? And they changed yeah. their uniforms completely. Uh, what they're wearing now is actually more like what they were wearing Back in the 90s. Back in the day. That's what I, I thought. Think. It was like a throwback yeah. at it, it, first. It's not the exact same, but they, they went on that culture change from around, I don't know, 2009 or 10 through 2015, where they were like, we're Pittsburgh. Never call us Pitt again. Uh, and uh, I don't know. And But now now they're back to their their old selves. Now they're, they're winning more games, too. Which is yeah, my, my wife is a Penn State grad, so she likes to yell, under the arm, Pitt. You know, and, and then something else I can't say on the podcast. <laughs> um, so that, that 2016 game, what, what I remember about that, cl- clearly we all remember the 300, three 100 yard receivers. And we remember it was a great game. And I remember uh, uh, there was a video clip of Fuente on the sideline telling his offense, we know what they're going to do and they know what we're going to do. And we're going to keep doing it. And um the other thing about that was, uh, oh, I'm blanking out. I had another thing to say about that. Oh, the uh, the traffic that night and the next day on Tech Sideline is some of the highest traffic I've ever seen. And I'm sorry, I can't quote page view numbers. I don't have them in my head. There was just a huge spike. Tech fans got enormously fired up about that game because it was a very close game, great drama. Tech played really well. And I just remember the site blowing up the next day. Is that it, Jake? Yep. Perfect. Well, uh, and I will also throw in that the men's basketball team got knocked out of the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh oh. a few years ago yeah. by Alabama. And what oh was a, gosh, yeah. a favorable matchup, and Tech just had a bad game. And then so, Alabama, yeah, not, not, much, yeah. not much good happens to Tech in that city. No. And then Alabama went on to lose to Villanova, That's correct. I believe. Was that the year That's that right. they won the title? Yep. All right. Yeah, I remember Villanova beat Radford in the game before Tech played against Alabama. And <laughs> I mean, granted, it was Radford, but I remember watching Villanova going, that's a good but, basketball yeah. I remember the Radford players. I was standing in the entrance, yeah. and the Radford players walked right by me to their locker room, and they were all just kind of laughing and everything. <laughs> that was after the game, yeah. and they were like, cool, we just got to play the eventual national champions because I think everybody knew Villanova was that Man, good. did they look good. Yeah. There's no shortage of tangents on this podcast, but it's all in good fun. We'll go ahead and jump back into the matchup and talk about Pitt's running backs, which was apparently the downfall of the Mark Whipple era since he wasn't really able to get them going ever. But it's going to be an interesting unit to watch because they're the opposite of healthy here. Israel Abanacando was the guy, the senior, um, who led the ACC in rushing yards going into last week, and now we don't even know if he's going to play. Yeah, and Rodney Hammond's a guy they, who played some last year, and he's only played in one game. This year, he got yeah, hurt in troubles. the West Virginia game, right? I so, believe. so and he hasn't played since. So. And was a seven-five-seven guy, so he's probably right. Right, missing this one. That's but. true. So, uh, it's it's hard to say. Like when you have injuries up front on the offensive line, and when you have injuries at running back, you know that's that's going to limit your your running game. And then your quarterback gets hurt too, so you can't throw it as well. Yeah. Which so they've they've had a lot of injuries. And like I said, considering their injuries and the fact that they've been playing a bunch of transfers, their coaching staff I think has done a really good job. Um, and and I think their performance against Georgia Tech last week, you'd like to avoid the fumbles, but the overall overall production wasn't too surprising considering the injuries and so many new faces on that side of the ball. And where Narduzzi's probably mad is where they gave up 240-some rushing yards yeah. against a team that normally can't run the ball on anybody. Um, 
But yeah, this is a game where Virginia Tech, the, the defense, it's been rough on them the last two weeks, but Pitt's not going to provide that much, that much of a challenge. And when I say that much, I mean in comparison to the right. last two teams. Yeah. There's still going to be more of a challenge than, than, in my opinion, than Boston College and, and Wofford and Old Dominion. So, But the Tech defense has to realize that they've got a chance to get back on track here. Uh, and I know it can be demoralizing what happened over the last two weeks. I mean, it was demoralizing to us, too. But, but uh, you've got you've to know that you can right the ship this week against a pit offense that's, that's hurting a little bit and then has a lot of new faces. And uh, it's, it's, you, get, you go out there and you have a good start and build some confidence. So a couple things as I listen to you talk. Number one, Virginia Tech fans, it also happens to other teams. Other teams do get injuries mm-hmm. and more than one. And number two, are we just going to gloss over that world-class pronunciation of a Banacanda's name? That was great. She didn't even blink. Just no. boom, right through it. I listen to a lot of ACC football podcasts, and so I've heard his name time and time again. There's a couple other names on defense that I'm going to try my best to pronounce right. Hopefully I can get it as well as that one. And Baldonado. That's one. Baldon, but I don't know. Baldonado, yeah. Um, there was, there's a linebacker, Servassier Dennis. Oh, Servassier Dennis. He's been there, what, 12 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He just has a name that jumps out, so mm-hmm. it feels like he's – I'm getting ahead of myself, though. Sorry. So we talked about the running backs. Obviously, we don't know if Abanacanda is going to play. They lost Ronnie Hammond week one. Now they're looking to Vincent Davis, but he's the guy who fumbled twice last <laughs> week. So th- I mean, I think Pitt really wanted to rely on the run game this year with the talent that was there and the offensive line coming back, but it's something that they aren't really able to do given those elements and also Slovis not being a runner. So like you said, Chris, it's a good opportunity for the Virginia Tech defense to be able to make the Panthers one-dimensional if they're going to rely on the passing game, which we can get into now. Obviously, they're adjusting to losing Jordan Addison. Um, the Hokies haven't seen a lot of these receivers in the past. Jared Wayne, they have seen, but Konata Mumpfield is one, the Akron transfer, which mm-hmm. I think it's a risk taking a guy from Akron in the portal, but I guess it's worked out for Pitt because he's been pretty successful this year. And Bob Means, what a nice name, Bob yes. Means. Uh, I think they took him from like one of the Louisiana, Louisiana Tech. Yeah, Louisiana Tech. Or he caught maybe 21 passes there last year, and then he's stepped in and been one of Pitt's top top three receivers. Um, it's not smooth sailing when, when you've got two grad transfers at wide receiver and a brand-new quarterback, and then the quarterback gets hurt. Um, there's no way things are going to be smooth from the very beginning. But I, I would argue that things have been a lot smoother for Pitt than, than, than you might expect. Sir, I mean, Virginia Tech faced a similar transition. New offensive coordinator, uh, new passing game coordinator, transfer new quarterback, quarterback, two transfer wide receivers. <clears throat> right. Things have not been nearly as smooth for Virginia Tech. And, and you could even argue about, like, Pitt's talent level. Like, if Tech had gone out and signed Louisiana Tech's fourth wide receiver and expected him to immediately come in and start, our fans would be like, oh, he's not talented. Yeah. But, but you know, he, he's playing pretty well for them. Um, so I, I think once they get healthy – uh, Pitt's going to be a really good team. It's it's just a matter of when are they going to get healthy. So uh, a bigger picture tangent, uh, the Monday article that I wrote, I talked about NIL, and the comments blew up. There's like 120 or 130 comments on the article, which is a lot. Um, and so it just led me to thinking, I wonder, you know, the, the difference between Everybody talks about how NIL and transfer portal are making college football free agency. It's not even free agency because in, in pro sports, you actually have contracts, right? right? It, there's, there's anybody in college football and basketball, anybody can leave 
at any time. Especially so with the, the, the transfer rule whenever everybody gets a one-time free transfer where you don't have to sit out of here. Uh, you know, so. and so it's, it's made me start to wonder if, if the next phase, if, if the next team to come out of nowhere and be successful in college football is the team that implements practices, and I don't mean on-field practices, I mean methods, and schemes and coaching techniques where players can come in and catch on quickly. Because it, it's if you're playing the long game, you might not get to play that right. game. You know, you're, you're t- you, and, and we can turn this into a Virginia Tech discussion. If you're trying to build culture and build schemes and ways of doing things, and then 10 players transfer out at the end of the year and five transfer in, you know, it just makes me wonder if somebody out there, like, like Nick Saban changed college football when he came to Alabama and he staffed up. And it just makes me wonder if someone is going to figure out a way to um, not only uh, deal with the current rules in college football, but actually prosper because of them. you got to wonder. Something, come up with something very simple yet effective yeah. that players can, can pick up very quickly. Focus on NIL big time. Get get talented right. players into your program schemes they can catch into catch on to like that. Mm-hmm. Only take players out of the portal before spring practice. So right, know, don't take anybody in the summer. That kind well, of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Couple more notes on the pit offense before we go into the break. Obviously, Wayne and Mumfield kind of give the one-two punch in the receiving core. But my question is less about how good these receive these pit receivers are and more about who's going to be covering them. We saw the depth chart come out this week and Dorian Strong is still listed as cornerback one yet. I think that hand injury is giving him more problems than we think. Yeah. I mean, we had heard David had heard actually um, after the West Virginia game that he could miss a significant amount of time. Yeah. Um, My guess is there's some sort of a break. I would guess that he had surgery on it. And, and, they're, and they're seeing how quickly it recovers to the point where they can put a club on it and he can play again. Yes, this is a hand injury. We right. know that much. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Um, but <clears throat> as far as the extent goes, I mean, I know he will, he wasn't at practice last week when the media was allowed to be there, just like Kelly Lawson wasn't at practice in the preseason after he had surgery. Yeah. Right? So uh, I, my guess is that's the case. I don't think he'll play this weekend. I'd love to be wrong because you always want to have your best players out there. But, uh, you know, I think uh, the way Mansoor Delane played last week, I, I I think he needs to be in the starting lineup or at least playing most of the reps at one of those cornerback spots. Uh, so so Delane did a great job tackling. Did you look at his PFF grades and see what they thought about his coverage? Uh, like tw- how many snaps was he in? And tw- he played 25 snaps. North Carolina didn't throw at him once. Right. And that could be because they were, the receivers were well covered. So at any rate, he outperformed in enough snaps where you can judge. Right. It's not like he played eight snaps. He played 25, but almost half the game. Um, he outplayed every other Virginia Tech cornerback. That, that was the best game by a Virginia Tech cornerback this year, even considering Dorian Strong. So he needs to be starting, in, in my opinion. So then th- this is a good time to throw him in there. I think. And again, that gets into the whole discussion. I, I know you've had it in, in an article you wrote this week about, yeah, they're two and three and there's plenty of games to play. And, and, but what we're all feeling after the last two weeks is really grim. So there becomes this attitude of, if you got a long, young guy, you like play him, you know, and you saw that with Delane mm-hmm. and uh, who else played? The, Daquan Wright. Daquan Wright. Right. Yeah. Well, they play them if they're physically ready and you think they're going to start next year. 
Uh, if they can't help you win the two deep right now. And you go then, drumming up NIL in the meantime. Right. I mean, if you, look, if they can't help you win the two deep by now and they, and they end up at the end of the season playing 51 special team snaps, then that's a wasted red shirt. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to play them, play them. And who, isn't it Harrison St. Germain that's in that situation right now? He's played four games. Right. All special teams. Right. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. To so see. they played him in the first four. They didn't play him in this last right. one, which shows me that they're really thinking about it. Yeah. They're really, and I, I hope they do. I hope they do because it's just not like they've already like Keyshawn Burgess has already played in five. Right. And he hasn't played a single defensive snap when uh, they actually a defensive end brought in the other true freshman Kyrie Moyston against Wofford when uh, Garbutt missed that game. So it's, it's kind of odd to me that like he, they think he's good enough to play on special teams and he should be playing special teams. But in that situation where they could have gotten him playing time at defensive end, that they wouldn't put him in. But at any rate, I'm, I understand maybe play one of them and redshirt the other, but I, that, that's one I would have done differently personally. But uh, on the whole, I think they've uh, they've they've handled the redshirts so far very well this year. I think that their their idea of player development and everything and how, how to use redshirts to to properly develop players, I think that it's pretty close to matching with my own. Yeah, uh, Duke was here during Bryce Duke was here during the spring, right? And I believe was, so. Yeah, I don't want to call a high, basically a high schooler physically ready, but he came in, you know, in pretty good physical yeah, yeah. size and condition. Yeah. And not only has he played five games, he's played them at his position. Right. And but Burgos is right. different. Yeah. It's been yeah, yeah. I think it's a good assumption that Delane and probably Daquan Wright will see some snaps this weekend. We'll we'll obviously monitor if Harrison St. Germain is out there as well as a couple others. One more note on the pit offense before we go to break. This is probably the best offensive line that our defensive line has seen all year. And the defensive line has been pretty good, but this competition will be something that will test them, I think. It's a, it's a very experienced offensive line. Senior, 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 redshirt junior, and even a couple of their backups who get in. We're good enough seniors. to start this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know they've, they've again they've had some injuries up there, but uh, I do feel like anybody they throw in there is just going to be an extremely experienced football player. You see this every year with Pitt. You, I mean, Will talks about it like doing the roster card every year, and it's always so many seniors. I mean, they got eighteen seniors and juniors on the two deep just on defense. Mm-hmm. Th- heard, 13, thirteen of those, thirteen of those guys redshirted. I remember Imagine one that. year doing the roster card. They had twenty-two seniors. Twenty-one of them had redshirted, mm-hmm. and the other one was a starting running back who was just killing it. I can't remember his name. Another guy who rushed for like two hundred yards against us. Yeah, that was yeah. twenty eighteen. And yeah. it's just it's oh, because like, we went up there with a bunch of freshmen. And 2018. They, yeah, they, they, yep. they just yeah, hammered. That, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, Pat Narduzzi might actually be, like, my ideal player development redshirt guy. Yeah. I, I would love to get him on this podcast and just talk about the benefits <laughs> of redshirting. He's not my ideal personality, but <laughs> right. player development, it's there. Yep. Um, that'll wrap up the first half. But before we go to break, let's check back in with Jake in the fourth chair. Well, the goal this weekend is for Tech to avoid losing three straight games, uh, and that has only happened five times since Virginia Tech joined the ACC in 2004. Each of the last four times, there's only been one team in common of who's been a part of those losing streaks, and it's Pittsburgh. Of course. Tech has lost three or more games in a row in 2021, 2020, 2018, and 2014. Pitt, a part of all four of those losing streaks. Uh, also lost three in a row in 2013. There's only one team that is also a part of four of those five. Can you guess who it is? Miami. 
Miami. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Miami uh, was not part of the losing streak last year. Uh, but Tech trying to avoid it would be three straight years of having a losing streak of three games or longer. Um, and maybe break that streak of having Pitt being a part of those losing streaks as well. Yeah. That would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> All right. That'll lead us into our break here on episode 261 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. Talk First Bank and Trust talked a lot about this new Pittsburgh offense and what to expect from them in the first half. And in the second half, we'll get to their defense and also talk a little basketball. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. We welcome you back into episode 261 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. As a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, continue to drop any questions you have for Will and Chris in the comments, and we'll get to those with Jake at the end of the show. All right, we said we were going to switch gears, so let's talk defense. This group had some high expectations going into this year, and for good reason. Pat Narduzzi made a name for himself coaching defense. Um, the biggest thing that sticks out with this group, though, is the drop-off in rushing defense mm. going from 6th in the country to 51st this year. Yeah, it's it's really surprising, uh, especially, you know, they've returned some good players, like Clyde Cansey is an All-American defensive tackle, and, they, and they've got a first-team All-ACC linebacker, and uh, – and things like that. So they've got they've got plenty of talent, plenty of experienced talent up there. And and this is why a lot of people picked them first in the coastal at the beginning of the season. Even though they lost Kenny Pickett, they returned this entire defense that, w- that was very good. And they brought in Slovis. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. To, to, exactly. So, but they haven't been quite as good against the run. And, and I'm sure that's probably keeping Narduzzi up at night since he's a since he's a defensive guy. The thing is, when they have played well, like the Tennessee game. I mean, they played great against Tennessee. They totally shut down Tennessee's running game, which is hard to do when you've got a mobile quarterback like Hendon Hooker back there. So did Hendon Hooker light him up? Uh, I wouldn't say he lit him up. Well, he lit him up through the air, right? <laughs> we need yeah. a Hendon Hooker button on the podcast. Oh, oh we do. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. At least don't. for the rest of the year. So if, if you haven't seen it, by the way, uh, I posted on uh, – this makes me think. I posted on the Tech Sideline YouTube feed uh, – Hitler finds out that the Virginia Tech only scored 10 points against UNC's defense. So if you haven't seen it, there's a there's a Hendon Hooker mention in there. Oh, that's right, it is. That's it, yep. You mentioned it, Chris. Some of the big names that stick out defensively, first of all, is Kalaja Kansi. He's arguably their best player on defense. He's going to make a lot of money one day in the NFL. He's very much like Aaron Donald, the yep. former Pitt defensive tackle. Six foot, 280 pounds. Like one thing you notice about Narduzzi's defense is most of their defensive tackles are undersized. And... Some people say Virginia Tech's defensive tackles aren't big enough. Well, Techs are as big or bigger than Pitts. It's just Narduzzi does a really good job of identifying guys that are great fits for for what he wants to do. And and Cansey's the the latest one. Um, two hundred eighty pounds, six foot. I mean, Narell Pollard is six foot two eighty five. So if people say Narell uh, Narell Pollard's undersized. He's actually bigger than Pitts All American defensive tackle. Yeah. Last year, Pitt was second in the country in sacks. Now they're 13th. They call themselves Blitzburg. Does that worry you a little bit for Grant Wells' sake this weekend? <laughs> it it does. all worries me, Katie. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, now, now, generally speaking, Tech's pass protection has been pretty good this Not year. Bad. wasn't great against West Virginia, but on the whole, it, it's it, it's been it's been okay. Uh, but this is a whole different challenge. I, I don't think Tech has played a team that's necessarily as good as blitzing as Pittsburgh is. They, they just kind of – we talked about how offenses, like the UNC offense, can stress you all over the field. Well, that's kind of what the pit defense can stress stress you all, all over the field. I mean, they're so really physical on the inside, but they also have good athletes. They can blitz off the edge. So you're never comfortable 
when you're playing them. Like they, they can attack you from anywhere and they do it with good experienced players too. So like the, the, this is one like, like there have been times this year, plenty of times actually where the tech offensive line just didn't know where to go. Didn't know where to block. Yeah. If they do that in the passing game this week against Pitt, then, you know, I, I hope the hot tub is ready for Grant Wells when he gets back to town because that'll be a long day. Yeah. We talked about the experience of their offensive line and then Cansey being the bell cow of this defensive line. It makes me think, I bet they have some really good battles in practice between the oh, trenches. I think when, when, you, when you have a physical program like Pitt, and I bet you, I bet they do hit a lot in practice. And I think when you try to create that culture, it does make you a more physical team over time. Like if you have quality players on on both sides, um, I think some of the things that would make like, and I bet I bet, I bet I bet Brandon Flowers would say this, and I bet Jimmy Williams would say that say this. Some of the things that made those guys better players for Virginia Tech is they were going against Eddie Royal and Josh Morgan and Justin Harper every day in practice, right? And mm-hmm. vice versa. Those wide receivers were good because they were going against really all-American type defensive backs yeah. every day in practice. So, you know, I think when, when when you practice against that kind of talent, you're you're going to get better, or you better get better, or you're going to get passed by somebody who is. Um, so I, I think, I think yeah, I think that there's something that definitely benefits Pitt, and they just keep the physicality of their program is is impressive. Yeah, I don't I don't want to worship at the altar of Pitt, but you know, <laughs> if, if you look at them. Uh, one thing that they do really well is they find underrated recruits. Mm-hmm. They develop them. They keep them in the program. Um, and they have become the, the modern-day Virginia Tech. Their average recruiting class, except their recruiting class rankings aren't as high as Virginia Tech's were at, at our peak. So their average recruiting class ranking is like 45th in the, in the Narduzzi era. So when we were talking earlier about them being picked to win the Coastal, despite all the hubbub that's always around Miami, that it struck me that um, because they were bringing back most of their defense and they'd plugged in one or two what were perceived as key transfers, that they get the benefit of the doubt, which they have earned in the last 10 years, and they are the ACC champions. So they are what Virginia Tech used to be. But they don't quite have the peak talent. I know they had no, 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 they, no, they, they, they had Pickett last year in Addison, and that was their peak, and they yeah. did win the ACC. Where Tech but was very deep very, and very talented. Right, right as far as star day. power in the program yeah. goes. Uh, even though a couple years on offense, that they didn't necessarily have it, but they generally had it all the time on defense. And even when the, some of their not-so-great offensive teams, they still would have a running back like Brandon Orr who could be a dominant player right. and, and things like that. So uh, I don't think that they, they – generally speaking, they haven't had tech star power. Um, but the consistencies and how each program wins, uh, or in case in Tech's case, won. Uh, so so I said in our game preview, and I'm, and I'm actually not joking about this, I think that Brent Pry ought to take a visit to Pittsburgh. Well, I don't think that's going to happen because they're conference rivals. Right. But. Well, you know, I don't. Frank used to meet with anybody and tell them whatever, you know. Right. But you're right; it's a well, different, well, it's Pry, a different era. Pry ought to know anyway. I mean, for culturally speaking, like he was, and I'm not talking even talking about his days at Penn State because they won games at Penn State with a bunch of elite level talent. Yeah. And I would even argue that Franklin, you know, the last couple of years underachieved with with, with Penn State talent. But uh, I think what they did at Vanderbilt was very impressive coming into Virginia and getting three-star linebacker Oren Burks, who Virginia Tech didn't even offer, and then developing him into a future Green Bay Packer. Well, the, right? the conversation I'm talking about is what what do you do culturally to keep guys in the program? Oh, right. You right, know, right. not how do you recruit, who you recruit or whatever, but 
you know, what do you find? You know, Pitt, Pitt's not a not a glamour program, you know, and uh, yet and yet they do tend to keep guys in the program and develop. I mean, they teams. lost Addison, but I mean, yeah, that was a lot of money. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, I think how they keep a guy like Kalijah Cancy is like uh, he's a great great player, but he can't play necessarily in every system as effectively as he does in Pittsburgh, and he wasn't a highly ranked recruit. There's nothing in the world with signing wrong with signing mid-level recruiting classes as long as you find the right ones that fit your system. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I Wake, did, we saw um, that graphic on Twitter this week where Wake has like the least talented roster in the ACC. If yet you go ranked. by recruiting rankings. in air quotes, right. yeah, right. Mm-hmm. correct. Um, although linebacker is a weak spot for them, Servasia Dennis, another senior uh, who is their leading tackler on the team, he's been super productive as a Panther. They brought in Shane Simon from Notre Dame to kind of um, help lighten the load for Servasia, but it hasn't really paid off for them. Senior, senior, junior at linebacker. Dennis, again, it seems like he's been there forever, like uh, like some of those Boston College linebackers that we've seen in the mm-hmm. past. Seem like play for over a decade against Tech. But, yeah, he's awesome against the run. He's also been a good blitzer. I believe he's got three sacks this year. Uh, so And so I'm sitting here talking about how their, their starting lineup is, is – and even their two deep is loaded with seniors. But as you guys talk, you you are talking about graduate transfers. I think I've heard what four different names that start for Pitt between well, offense well, and defense well, that come in from elsewhere. Yeah, but two of the transfers on offense are actually sophomores. Okay. Want to get to some closing thoughts in this one? Y'all can tell me if you agree. For Virginia Tech to win this game, you're looking at a couple things. One, everything has to go right offensively. That's something that David said on Monday. <laughs> right. Um, two, defensively, they need to capitalize on if Abanacanda potentially being out. That would be big. Um, and their offensive linemen, a couple of them being banged up as well. And then three, win the turnover margin. So if Pitt mm-hmm. does have issues fumbling the ball, we need to be able to capitalize on that and score actually, if the offense can't get past the 50-yard line as they couldn't against UNC. So I'll add one more thing to that. Okay. Um, in, in reading the Post-Gazette article, it, the, Chris talks about this all the time. There's a rectangle kind of around the state of Pennsylvania where they just have a hard time complimenting their team, you know, whether it's fans oh, or writers. Oh, well, it's not just their own team. It's where their fans complete treat other fans like not good. Right. Right. So yeah. it's so uh, uh, the quarterback um, Slovis. He he was out for a while. Then he came back against uh, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and apparently there was some grumbling after the Rhode Island game because he wasn't going downfield. He was checking down a lot when he threw the ball. Yeah, a lot of t- and, close passes. They didn't spread the ball a lot. Yeah, and he and he didn't have a, a great game in their last outing against Georgia Tech. He threw for 305 yards, but the author of the article said that he was 6 of 16 in the first half, and most of his yard, uh, uh, I think he said bulk. The bulk of his yardage was accumulated, accumulated late against prevent defenses. So these are things you read and hear that looking, just be, looking beyond the numbers are encouraging. So, you know, maybe that'll turn into something for Virginia Tech's defense. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, Tech's defense won't be as stressed this week. They yep. shouldn't be, at least on paper. Yeah. So, hmm. Not always the happiest note to end on, at least for this section of the podcast, but we'll do game picks. Last week we saw David's prediction and was like, oh, God, well, I hope it's not that bad. And then he ended up having a really close prediction. What, what did, what did he, he picked 41 to 16, right? Yes, yeah. The UNC and, game. And, and it, it ended up being actually close. worse than that. 41 to 10, yeah. Yeah. All of you guys are in sync riding with the opponent again this week. 
Will, you mentioned earlier, pretty lopsided score from you. Yeah, I, I picked... <laughs> Um, I picked, what did I pick? Uh, I'm Pit 42, 42 to 13. Um, and this was after I'd written the, written the paragraph that in the last three visits, Pitt has averaged 46 points against Virginia Tech. So, um, and, and I think, and I, I said this while we were on break and the mics weren't on, I said, you know, home field advantage other places is worth, what, three points in the betting line. And we joked that it's worth 17 to 20 points at Pitt. So that's where all that came from. Um, now that said, a lot of the times you see one or two games from your team and you get really down on them and you think, oh, they're, they're going to get smoked again. And they don't. And in this discussion, uh, I can see pathways to victory. Certainly the offense has got to play a lot better. They got to put more points on the board, you know? So, um, I would like to think that that 42 to 13 is uh, just me going a little bit too hard to the hole on it, and we'll find out. Well, once again, I was the positive one of our group <laughs> this week. I only have them losing by three touchdowns. <laughs> only three touchdowns. Uh, yeah. No, so, th- no, I agree with everything. Chris Will. said 34-13. I, I agree with everything Will said. I think the defense will play better this week. I don't necessarily think those 34 points or whatever that I'm picking would be all their fault. Of course, they're under a tremendous amount of stress these days because you know, they know they have to – almost be perfect for Virginia Tech to have an opportunity to, to win. Um, my biggest thing in this whole game is, yes, it's at Pittsburgh, but whether the game was in Blacksburg or on a neutral field, that, that Pitt defense, they, they're going to come out with, like, loaded for bear this week, I think, yeah. after what happened to them last week. And their, their defense is not a good matchup for the Virginia Tech offense. Right. And we've seen what happened to Virginia Tech, like, the last last week when they faced a defense that actually was a pretty decent matchup for the Tech offense. They still couldn't score. Um, so I, I greatly worry about their ability. To, like, 10 points in two straight games. Like, at some point, Tech's going to screw around and lose the shutout streak if they don't improve Yeah, which improve dates back soon. to 1995. Right, and if they were going to lose it, you would think it would be in their two-decade house of horrors, Pittsburgh. Right. And so the other thing that is starting to color these picks is um, Grant Wells had, what was it, four interceptions against ODU. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a pick six against WVU. He had an interception deep in tech territory against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind the ODU game. In the last two games, he spotted the other team seven points, basically. Um, so that's a thing that... I don't want it to sound this way. I mean, there are interceptions and then there are interceptions. Right. And it, that's the kind of thing that's got to stop if you want to win. The margin of error isn't that large for this team. There's no margin for error, right. to be quite honest about it. Um, so, like, in theory, I can see a path to victory because, you know, Pitt is banged up on offense and everything. But And, and this is college football, like, crazy things have happened but the thing is like i feel like pitt had their crazy thing that happened to him last week that's the other problem right right so but then the next week though virginia tech plays miami and like i would not be surprised to see virginia tech play their best game of the year to date against miami and i'm saying that just as much because i we know how miami yeah we don't trust Miami. right right, exactly but uh you know it's got to happen for virginia tech at some week where they just wake up one morning and just play better um, right? It's going to happen at some point. Doesn't mean they'll keep playing better consistently after that, but there's going to be a game where you come out and say, oh, that's what we're capable of. Um, I don't think that's going to be this week. 
History says that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. but if you're patient for another week, it might be the next week. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, this is apples and oranges, but I remember thinking when the basketball team was, what they start out zero and four in the ACC and then two and seven or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they were ten and ten overall. And again, this is apples and oranges, but I remember saying this team is not that bad. Well, the th- the thing is, they already we knew they were better than that because they made the basically that core group made the NCAA tournament the year yeah. before. So there was a history of them being. Now this football team, we're not sure about. Right, but I, but I do think they're they're capable of doing better than they have. Yeah. But again, I don't don't see that happening this week though. David's got Pitt 37-7. to seven. Fans are picking Pitt to win by 11-plus right now, but that article was posted this morning, so go vote. 85% picking uh, so, Somebody Pitt joked on the board them. that there's not enough options now. There needed to be, like, Pitt by 20-plus. Pitt by 30-plus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. What, what times we live in. <laughs> well, on a lighter note, we're going to talk a little bit of basketball, but before that, I want to throw it back over to Jake. Let's talk some basketball then. Uh, we're going to go into fantasy land. Uh, we're going to talk bracketology before Ooh. a game has even been played. <laughs> awesome. Uh, ESPN released their latest projections for both the men's and women's brackets earlier this week. Uh, for the men's side, Joe Lunardi has Virginia Tech as a nine seed. and it's always the nine seed. Of course he does. Their first two games would be against UConn, and if they beat UConn, it would be Kentucky. Obviously, oh, again, we're in fantasy land here. Yeah. But... Two blue bloods to start off the tournament. It, it all it always seems like when Tech is in that eight nine game that they always get the nine seed too. At least flatter <laughs> me and give me the eight seed. Well, Jerry Palm from CBS Sports does have the Hokies as an eight seed. Oh, that, that's nice of him. Playing they, USC. They're sleeping on Sean Padula is what they're doing. They are. They are. Yeah. Uh, and we mentioned earlier that uh, Kenny Brooks came on set earlier today in episode two sixty of the podcast. We talked with him about how important it is to get that four seed and to host a regional. Well, Charlie Cream uh, released his uh, predictions yesterday and has the Hokies as a four seed hosting a region playing Toledo, and then the other side would be Baylor and Middle Tennessee State. They certainly Not have, Baylor. Oh, wow. Again? Yeah. That was oh, awful. gosh. So but they definitely have that capability. Like, it'll be depend on how quickly the two uh, transfers gel right. and learn yeah. the system and everything like that. But, uh, you know, if they gel relatively quickly and they pick up enough quality non-conference wins, I'm confident they'll do well in the league. I'm sure everybody would have, would have gelled at that point. But, uh, yeah, I think they've got a chance to be really, really good. I know everyone, it was disappointing to see them in with a loss last year in the NCAA tournament. But no, we're talking the women's team. The women's team, team. Yep. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think they've got a chance to be really good. Yeah, J- Jake asked Kenny, he said, uh, you know, when, when you were there with your team and on Selection Sunday and your your name came up as a five seed, and, and I don't remember Jake's exact wording, but it's like, must have been a special moment. And Kenny's face kind of said, eh, we really wanted that four, you know. <laughs> and then he went on to say, not only did we not get the four, but we wound up matched up with a 12 that really wasn't a 12. Yeah. And and he had he had an interesting talk about what a terrible matchup Florida Gulf Coast was for Virginia Tech, and that's the way it unfolded. It gives me nightmares to think about it. I, I remember, remember where I was watching that game. So and frustrated. Oh, Texas yeah. game. Uh-huh. We remember we watched the... We watched the women's game. We watched some of it at Sharkies at and then Sharkies. went to Champs and finished watching it there and then watched the, tech, the men's game right after it. 
It's a great four hours of basketball. Yeah, yes. right. Well, hoping for better this year. Yesterday was media day, so there was a handful of interviews, which we'll get to. But first, I want to ask you about these new uniforms. Monday night, um, Hokies men's basketball Twitter account teased them a little bit. Then they released pictures of them. And then yesterday we saw what the players looked like in these uniforms. So what were your initial thoughts? Nice. I'll have to see them in person. Yeah, I think. So, so, so I've never been like a huge fan of just like a straight up VT on, on the jersey. I like the VTs like in football, of course, on the side of the helmet, but they don't wear helmets in basketball. Uh, I always just like a straight up Virginia Tech or a Hokies on, on the front of the uniform. Other than that, I think they look fine. But again, uh, I, once I see them in action with like the players actually playing ba- basketball on them, maybe I'll. Maybe I'll. I agree. Be on board. And for me, the color is a thing that is near and dear to my heart because. When I, when I first started Hokie Central back in 1996, I researched, you know, what were the hex codes, the RG, red, green, blue computer hex codes for Chicago Maroon and Burnt Orange. And on Virginia Tech's official website, the hex code was 660000. And that is a maroon more like what we're used to. Um, and Tech Silent has been that color ever since then. And then somewhere along the way, that changed. And if you go look at Tech's color guide now, it's like a purplish maroon that is way beyond the hex code I just described. Do they still actually call it Chicago maroon, though? Is that the official terminology I for it? It is. Yeah, Nick but says in, re- in, in reality, though, it's like a variant of maroon. You know, and, and I refuse to change the color of Tech sideline to match Virginia Tech's official colors because I don't like them. Uh, and I started noticing that things started looking purple, particularly with the basketball team, you know, several years ago. And so that was a, a lot of people's first reaction when they saw this on Twitter. It's like, that's purple. But then I saw pictures later that were taken at Media Day and it looked more maroon. So like Chris said, you just got to see him in action. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was made in 2004. That was a 2004 through but 2007 it, but still, uniform. Still uh, that's purple. more purple no, no, compared no, to your no, shirt. To be fair, I like the one that came right before that. Yeah. The the 98 through 2003 jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got some really nice rings and some okay uniforms. Yeah, and, and you know what? You know what? If they make the NCAA tournament again, uh, they can wear whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm guessing yesterday at Media Day, they were just wearing the maroon version. Yeah. Because you don't know what the, what the white's going to look like. You don't know what the orange is going to look like. They've worn black. And now the black uniforms that had the VT in the center of the chest, they were cool. Right. Now, I will say this. For our football team this year under Brent Pry, we were not screwing around with a different uniform every week. That is true so far. And he said we're, we're going to wear two uniforms this year. Yeah, like even yeah. orange effect and, and white effect, they they wore their yeah. regular colors. Yep, and I like that very much. Yeah. Have they really? Yeah. How so? Nick says they've worn maroon, three variations. Maroon jersey for West maroon, maroon helmet, maroon jersey for West Virginia. Helmet, maroon jersey for okay. but oh, they, wow, really? But they haven't worn orange jerseys or... Well, orange pants. <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah. Well, getting to some of the interviews, the overwhelming takeaway from all of them really was the excitement for Darius Maddox. We know him as the guy who drained the shot against Clemson in the ACC tournament and the guy who scored 20 against UNC in that same tournament. But now he's finally settled into his role. He's going to start for the first time. He has a lot of potential, and it's going to be exciting to watch it unfold. He had some interesting comments. He did. About – uh Mike Young straight up told him, you're not any fun to coach, man. You're not working hard enough is basically what he told him. And 
for a lot of guys, they'd run off in the portal after a coach said that to them, right? And Maddox came from Oak Hill, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. D.C. originally. So he started uh, – so he started working harder, and imagine that. When he did that, he turned into a good player. He stayed and worked hard. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. So, uh, yeah, he's a great shooter, and, and he's certainly not the first player to ever have a similar story at the college level, yeah. by the way. It's just such a difference coming up to this level, the demands of it. It's, they're just so much greater. Um, but, yeah, he's got to have a chance to big time. He's going to have a chance to have a big-time year. That We heard at the time they were concerned about losing him – Yes, halfway through this past season, there was a very real possibility. I think it was, he was January where we were told he's he's, he's probably gone in the, the portal. End, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then everything turned around on a dime. Well, and they started playing Maddox and Padula more, mm-hmm. and and I've said it a bunch of times. For in my brain, the curse of Darius Maddox is every time he shoots, I expect it to go in. I know. So it's like you're almost disappointed in the guy. Damn it, when Darius! Why did you miss, miss that one. shot? What he's eventually going to miss one. You're going to be like, "Oh man, come on!" You, gosh, how you you missed 45 percent of your shots this year. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Justin Mutz talked about that in his interview. He praised the resiliency of Darius Maddox to stay, just because he mentioned nowadays in college basketball, if something doesn't go your way, you immediately hit the portal. And he was like, "I'm part of the problem." Because I've done that a lot, which is true. I, I, I think sub, I think subconsciously, maybe you sometimes players are even looking for that to go. They're they're like, oh, I better go on the portal. I face some adversity, or they're just looking for adversity that isn't even there, so they have an excuse to go on the portal. It's just it's made so e- it's so much easier for them because like so many people talk about it, so many people expect it. Um, you're not yeah. like players never get blamed for going into the portal. Coaches get blamed for losing them. Right. Right. So the players are never like nobody ever says anything bad about them. They just say bad things about the coach. I mean, we're going to lose more football players to the portal this year. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. And we will lose more basketball players, too. And sometimes it'll be somebody you don't want to lose. That's just the way of it. But uh, again, I, I think that's why it's uh, recruiting to your scheme and your culture is so important. And uh, and I think Mike Young's done a, done a good job of that. And to, you know, what that makes me think of is uh, I'm a parent with three kids, uh, one of who's graduated from college, another one who's getting ready to this year, and then a third that is in college and, and is going to get uh, – she's right on the heels of, of the middle one. And I remember when as, – as they each went to school, um, my wife and I had these conversations where if, if we got the old I'm homesick routine – it's hard to be like two of my kids, two of my three kids went to Virginia Tech. It's hard to be homesick when you're, you know, 20 minute drive from home. I can attest. But the, but the <laughs> middle one went to uh, South Carolina. And I, my wife and I had these conversations and I said, if I, if I hear that stuff, if I get a call one or two weeks into school saying, I'm lonely, I don't like you, blah, blah, blah. My answer was going to be, nope, you give it one year. You stay there one year. And if you still don't like it after one year, then we'll do something different. Right. Um, I, w- I was, as a parent, I was not going to give my kids the easy out. Uh, okay, honey, come on home. So, so it reminds me, so Tech had a football player in 2020 who tried to opt out, right? Uh, I'm not going to say who this Of the bowl game? No, of the season. The season, COVID. okay. Right. So he went and told Fuente without discussing it with his mom. <laughs> and so Fuente is like, okay, I mean, not much you can do about it. But then the kid told his mom, and then, like a couple hours later, his mom, uh, his mom calls Fuente and said, "Don't worry, Coach. We had a little chat, 
He's not opting out. Now you call me and let me know if he tries to pull this mess again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's that, that's a similar situation though. Yeah, good stuff. Justin Mutz also said, "I think we have a strong opportunity to, opportunity to, to be better than we were last year." You kind of get chills hearing that, but where do you draw the line with expectations? Because they have a lot of pressure on them given the current state of the football program and coming off the ACC championship game. But you also got to remember that this team is without Aluma. Um, the experience of him and Nahimaline and Storm Murphy as well. Yeah, um, and there's obviously Rice may not be available to start the season. He's got an injury, yeah. um, so there's that, and that'll that'll reshuffle the backcourt to a certain extent. Like it means Hunter Couture is going to have to go play. That some will point affect guard, the point guard rotation, which means freshman MJ Collins going to have to play a little more on the wing. Right. Um, I do. I think they're going to have more versatility. With a guy like John Camden, who can play either the three or the four, and Mike Young sat in that chair over the summer and told us he's got to have a more versatile lineup. Yeah, but there was still a question of whether or not Camden could guard the three, right? Yeah, you. Young said your position is the position you can guard, right? Right. And what a great line! Yeah, and, and, it simplifies and, things for and, fans. Well, Young said yesterday, the other day, that right now that he thinks he's a three, so which shows that he's. Got some lateral movement to him on defense, which I think is quality. But if they if they do want to go to a smaller lineup, then then he can play the four. Yeah. Like you can play him and Mutz together. Uh, so I think there's a lineup versatility in there. Um, Basili, the transfer from Wright State, he, he's might be a better shooter than Aluma from the outside. Uh, I don't think he's got as physically strong as Aluma inside the paint. They're different players and. And Mike Young says, is he going to play the four or the five? Whereas uh, Aluma was basic, pretty much a strictly a five, a five yeah. for Virginia Tech. So it's going to be a different kind of lineup, probably a little more versatility, more depth at the five because you got more people who can play it. Technically, Tech did have a couple of true centers on the roster last year, but the only guy they really com- felt comfortable playing there was Gasson, who wasn't even a natural five. Right. So uh, I just I think there's going to be more depth across the board this year. So, like, I can see them. I'm not saying they're going to win the ACC, but they have a higher ceiling as a basketball team when it comes to March this year than they did last year. As far as the NCAA tournament, I mean, like, like, like whatever matchup they face in the first, if they make the NCAA tournament, let's not put the cart before the horse, but uh, they're going to be, Mike Young's going to be able to look at his team and say, okay, we can adjust our playing time for this guy, this guy, and go and go with this because we're facing this particular matchup in, in the first round. Uh, maybe if they had a little more versatility, then maybe uh, Texas wouldn't have been quite as, as much of an issue for them. Uh, I don't, but well, if they if they had had another true center, they could have trusted to put in the game when yeah. Aluma got in foul trouble. Maybe, Stop right. reminding me of that game. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think I think that expectations. Uh, should probably be the number one storyline of the preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, Basketball isn't going to save, you know, everything is yeah. what I think people need to realize. Yeah, there, there's that in in a nine seed. I don't know about that. I think this. Having said that, here I am going into expectations. <laughs> I think they're they're better than that. Um, I think last year the the biggest thing that affected their seeding at the end of the year or their situation at the end of the year was what happened early in the year. Oh, they didn't have enough uh, quality uh, right. wins in the net. So quadrant one wins. Yeah, and I think the biggest problem early in the year was I think Storm Murphy hadn't figured things out yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I thought that all through last season that when things started to click for him, um, he never, and until towards the end, he never really was aggressive with the ball. 
Um, I, I, I always thought, uh, going back to uh, the number three point guard who would never drive, who trains, who... Uh, Marky Cook? No, no, no. The, what? The, why would be so beady? Why oh, can beady. I not remember? I always thought Beatty undersold himself and he should have been more aggressive going to the basket. And I felt the same thing about Storm Murphy. So I think that was probably the biggest thing they needed to figure out early in the season. I think it cost them some games mm-hmm. and, until because that's one of the things that helped with Padula playing more was he's not shy. He's going to go inside and break you down in a way that Murphy wouldn't. And then Murphy started elevating his play. And that's when that team became what they could be. Uh, right. Hopefully they do not have to go through that kind of adjustment period. This well, year. they won in the backcourt as far as Padula goes. Like he knows exactly his role. And the that's the way I feel. Yeah. Dar- same for Darius Maddox. Couture has had to play point guard in the past for Tech, so it shouldn't be as big of an issue for him because there's so much experience there at Virginia Tech. Could be a little bit an issue as Camden, who's only going to be a redshirt freshman, you know, uh, transfer right. from Memphis. As he figures out whether he's a three or a four, and Basili figures out whether he's a four, and it may or take Basili time to get comfortable. Right. So, so whereas last year we saw the adjustment period in the backcourt, the adjustment period this year might be in the frontcourt. Yeah. I'd love for someone to ask John Camden his experience playing for Penny Hardaway and just like his thoughts on that coach in general. I'd like you to mean ask privately him? or publicly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I want to know, so I guess publicly. Um, I have a class with Darius Maddox, and our professor even asked him. He was like. You got you know how much pressure is on you, right? With the current oh, state gosh. of football, and he's like, "Oh, we know." So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, uh, this gets back to what I said the other day about while Tech was busy, the football team was get busy getting blown out by North Carolina. I texted David and Chris, and I said, "We might need to alter our editorial approach." <laughs> so uh, here we come, basketball. Yeah, and uh, you know it's going to be different this year for those guys because. Every time they go out on the road, it's going to be, okay, the ACC champs are coming to our gym. Yeah. You know, so it's Virginia Tech basketball has never been in this situation before. Um, They've always been the underdog. They've always gotten to play with a chip on their shoulder. They got to make sure that chip is still there, even though they just won the ACC. Well, again, that's, that's the greatness of Coach K is that he built that team up to what it was. And then he changed gears, and he knew what it took to keep them Keep there them hungry, yeah. When every game was everybody else's national well, championship. It helps when everybody else hates you. Like, everybody hates Duke. Yeah, they don't just root so, them against them. They hate them. Right, right. Well, so, yeah. That's not the case with Tech. At least, I don't think so. I think they're still playing with a chip on their shoulder to a degree. Justin Mutz said yesterday that they still feel like they're, you know, overly disrespected in the ACC and that they want to be the team. I feel like if most other teams in in the league won the ACC title in one year, they wouldn't be getting picked seventh or eighth like you see some of these picks for Tech the very next year. I also there was also an article recently. I believe Andy Katz wrote it about the top player developers in college basketball, and he didn't mention Mike Young. Like, and I there, I saw an article about the the tiers of coaches, and Mike Young was a tier three coach, and and th- that has no context. I didn't tell you how many guys were in tier one or tier right. two, but it wasn't a couple. It was like five guys at tier one and ten more at, at tier two. And, well, you know, if you keep making NCAA tournaments on a consistent basis, that tier list will change. There. Just he'll like Virginia there. Tech football used to be tier two, and the and like the uh, the the. The princes and and dukes and Knights all that and dukes yeah, and all that the, stuff. The thing that and, and for a long time, football's football was underestimated year after year after year. They mm-hmm. were getting picked in the Big East down here, and they'd go win it. And next mm-hmm. year, they get picked down here, and they'd go win it. Right, and then that changed, and then for a while, we probably got got the benefit of the doubt. got the benefit of the doubt a little too that. much. Right. Yeah. 
Well, we're 33 days until tip-off for men's and women's basketball, a doubleheader in Castle Coliseum on November 7th. ACC Media Days is next week. Women's on Tuesday. When is men's, David? Wednesday. All right. Well, I'm sure there'll be some coverage from that. Before we go, let's go ahead and take a couple questions from the chat. Just one question today. Uh, back to football. Alexis wants to know, how do you think recruiting will be affected by the team's current performance on the field? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And uh, you, you see it. I'm the guy who like reads a lot of recruiting articles with quotes from players, and I edit a lot of Jason Stames articles. And even, and I'll never forget, like even at the end of the Mike L- London tenure at UVA, like I was still reading interviews where the recruits just saying, "Oh yeah, Coach London, he's about to turn that program around," yeah. you know. So uh, recruits say the stuff like that, and sometimes they believe stuff that isn't obviously not true to other people. I mean, Justin Fuente had a top 25 class committed on the day he got fired last year, despite being on the hot seat. Didn't make any sense at all, but that's what he had. And it was a lot of it was because Tech had finally opened new facilities, which they sorely needed a few years yeah. earlier. Um, I feel like if, if Brent, Brent Pry and Franklin, I'm sure Pry learned something from recruiting at Vanderbilt. And I think that might actually be more beneficial to Virginia Tech than when he was signing five-star and four-star players at Penn State. Those, those guys aren't going to come here. Those guys are only going to certain schools these days. Like Virginia Tech's program and West Virginia's program and Iowa State's program and NC State's program and all that, they're all going to be built mostly on three-star recruits. Uh, and I was on a staff that built Vanderbilt from a losing program that no recruit wanted to go to to a winner. So they did not recruit well when uh, when they were at Vanderbilt, per se. They probably recruited better than Vanderbilt ever had, but they still, by national standards, didn't recruit well. Right. Yet they still won. Um, so he's got to understand that. Maybe he even uses some of that, saying, listen, I've, I know we didn't have a good record this year, but, look, I've been on a staff that's turned Vanderbilt into a winner, and after we left Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt dropped back down into the cellar. Um so I think you can, uh, you know, you can sell some of your past experiences like that. Um, you can tell p- players if you're good enough, you have an opportunity to play early, but you have to be very careful with that. Because if I think a guy's good enough and he's in the two deep and it's not going to limit his physical development, then I, ag- I agree. I want him to play. But you also have to be careful when you're recruiting, recruiting mostly three-star players. Most of those guys are not going to be ready. Yeah. You know, 85 to 90% of them are not going to be ready. So if they come in expecting playing time and then you decide to redshirt them, they might get mad because, you know, you, you didn't play them. Um, so you've got to be very careful who you recruit. You have to recruit guys who are willing to buy under your culture and develop and things like that. So, you, so you've got to be very careful and tell them, we're going to do our best to develop you. If you're physically ready and in the two deep, you will play. Yeah. And there is more of an opportunity of that on this team because it's you know not a great team right now, but I'm, it's not being guaranteed. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Pry didn't get more of a new car smell, so to speak, in, in recruiting when he was first hired. I mean, Tech's recruiting right now, just from a rankings perspective, which obviously doesn't matter all that much, uh, it's no different than the end of the Fuente era. In fact, nope. I think it's slightly below it. Um, but I, I do think he has a good idea of the types of players he wants to target and everything like that. But here's the thing, like it worries me, but at the same time, how many bad programs have we've seen through the years? 
get turned around despite not recruiting well. Like if if Matt Campbell didn't was truly not recruiting well, then Iowa State wouldn't be winning any games because they don't they never recruit well from a rankings perspective. But they they recruit the right players and they develop them. I've I've just never felt that that wins and losses are are very high up a recruits list of things that are important to them. They'd, they they wouldn't go to Miami if that was the case. You know, uh, playing time. Uh, whether or not they like the coaches, whether or not they feel at home in the schools, city school, rural school, there's facilities. There's just so much the depth chart, the schemes. There's so much that goes into that stuff. And uh, it was interesting because when, when Kenny Brooks was talking, he was talking about the two transfers they had come in. And these were players that were getting a lot of playing time, a lot of accolades. But when they went in the portal and he contacted them, they said, oh, I'm doing all right here, but I want to win. I want to win some games. And these are players that have been losing games for, you know, three or four years. So maybe it's different as you get older. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it's that, you know. Well, coming out of high school, they all think they're going to win anyway. Right. They all you think know, they're going to start and they the all difference. think they're going to win. You know, right. and, 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 and then not, they actually get there and they figure it out, wow, this is hard. Not to go old school on you, but in December of 1992, Frank Beamer was 2-8-1. and one, And in February of 1993, he signed Cornell Brown who was either the number one recruit in the state or darn close to it. The record didn't make any difference. And in the 1996 recruiting class, Virginia Tech's class was ranked either 7th or 8th in the Big East out of an 18 Big East. And and they signed two top 25 guys in the state of Virginia. Right, and then all those players played in the national championship game a yeah. few years later. Yeah. Uh, and it's a much, much different era these days. But uh, I feel like if Virginia Tech's player development is right and their coaching staff is right, then Tech will win. Yeah. Like if if we're sitting here having this conversation four years from now uh, about uh, not winning, it's not going to be because we didn't recruit well enough from the standpoint of rankings. It's going to be because we either didn't identify the right three stars to recruit or we didn't develop them or coach them well enough. Yeah. Boy, we went off on that one. Yep. <laughs> so, guys, uh, well, thank you for that, Jake. Game previews posted on TechSideline.com as of today. Make sure you check that out and go vote in the score poll. Podcast with Kenny Brooks is up. I'm looking forward to listening to that one later today. Another great episode of the Tech Sideline Podcast. I want to thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. He's at Will Stewart CSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. You can follow him at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Jake Lyman, our Monday show host, enjoyed his contributions today. And Nick Brown producing. Thank you, Nick. The Hookies take the field for Game 6 against Pittsburgh at 3.30 p.m. in Acrisure Stadium on Saturday. It'll be televised by the ACC Network, and we'll be back Monday morning to break it all down. I'm Katie Adams signing off from all of us here at Tech Sideline. Enjoy the game, Hookies fans, and enjoy your weekend.